right, thank you, Dan. I invite you to turn your Bibles to uh, Colossians chapter 1, and we'll be looking at the end verses there in chapter 1, and then later we'll be moving towards Hebrews uh, 10, 23 through 25. I know your outline says Romans 12. We'll get to that tonight, and that outline and those questions kind of fit in with uh, both messages this morning. Um, I do pastor in, in Northfield, Massachusetts, and we actually are meeting now on the campus where uh, the D.L. Moody started uh, years ago. Uh, there are two campuses. Actually, there's one on one side of the Connecticut River in Gill. That is still a functioning prep school. Unfortunately, many years ago, they moved away from the gospel, and it's just a prep school like Phillips Academy is. They have the, uh, the older campus in Northfield that uh, they pulled out of, and now they're just on the one campus in, in Gill. And they're looking to actually give that away. They've been trying for a while. It's all the historical places where the summer Bible conferences took place, and we could do a whole study on uh, how God has used that in the past. Actually, right now, we're, we're the only Christian group that's meeting on that campus. It's empty. It's probably 33 buildings. It's an incredible campus. And uh, we outgrew our, our, our little church building, which is about the size of like five of these pews. And uh, we had about 20 when we came four years ago, about 50 are there now. And so now they're letting us use uh, uh, an auditorium on the campus and uh, uh, things are going well. Um, I, I am bivocational, so I uh, pastor and I also uh, teach in the local public school, be able to make ends meet and uh, um, that is going well, although I'd love to be full time, but I've been able to meet a lot of people in the community through that. I think it's fitting that for the 50th anniversary year, of your church, you focus on, uh, on preaching and teaching. Because that is the foundation of this church, as we'll see in a moment, it needs to be the foundation of, of any church that loves Christ and loves truth. It was in 1974 that my family moved to Andover, and uh, soon after that we began attending the Fellowship Bible Church, and uh, came under the, the, the emphasis of, of the teaching of God's Word. And we had a Bible study right in the home, and that was 1974, and I, I guess if my... Um, Calculations are right. Pastor Stringer was 43 at the time, and uh, he doesn't look that much different. Uh, he's, he's still looking, looking great, and uh, he came into our home, and uh, my job as a young junior high student was to set up the chairs, and I sat through those Bible studies. I remember going down in the basement, and all the church chairs were down there. Every, every other week, I'd bring all those chairs up. I'd see how many I could carry, you know, two and then three, and as I got older and stronger, four, five, and would bring them up. And that, those chairs are probably still here in the, uh, in the church. And uh, those Bible studies were just incredible, incredible for my family. And it's a, it's a strategy that uh, I continue to use in, in church. Um, and uh, Pastor Dan teaching the college and career, which uh, later on as I became part of the ministry here, I taught as well. And this, that legacy of handing on the faith from uh, one generation to the next is uh, really part of the foundation of this church. He had the family camp back then at Monadnock Bible Conference. Peter Hubbard and I worked with the kids and we had two teams, the Rabble Rousers and the Whippersnappers. And, uh, we named them that fittingly because that's what they were, and we had a great time uh, doing that and just growing up and serving in ministry and mentoring here. I was saved at the Fellowship Bible Church through, amongst, uh, you know, the way it always works, through the teaching of God's Word. And uh, I had been in a Christian home, had heard about the gospel, but it wasn't until a ninth grader I heard the gospel presented here through special meetings and realized that... Um, that I needed to accept Christ, and uh, I'll say more about that this evening. But uh, so the church here has a special place in our heart and our family. My dad, Dick Emberly, and my mom, Carol, are doing well. They're down in Florida. Dad is struggling with cancer, but uh, he's 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 doing okay, 
and uh, have good quality of life, and he's in his 80s as well as, uh, as just like Pastor Stringer, and he's, he's looking well also. And my, my mom, I won't tell you her age, but um, she's doing great. In my mind, the pastor said this morning, you blink and the time goes by, and uh, that is true. Um, in my mind, my parents hit 60 and just stopped. You know, and I go down and I see them. It's like, whoa, Dad, you're old. <laughs> but you know, he's he's still he's still getting out there and, and he's golfing and he's having he's in a great time. He ministers in a church down there. They volunteer as they always have, and uh, just give of themselves. Um, and so I think it's fitting that the preaching of God's word once a month or so, bringing someone in, and, and really pictures what what a church needs to be all about. And in keeping with that theme, I thought I'd just present the last two messages that I preach at Community Bible Church. I didn't go back into my file and pull out the best of Bob Emberley and try to, you know, give you that or try to find out what's going around here and, and preach a message there. I just thought I'll just preach the last two messages that I preached at Community Bible Church and see how they fit and let the Holy Spirit uh, use these in your life. So we're dropping into a series in our little church. We've been seeking to understand what the church is and what the church should be doing. Although we've been there since 1960, our church is older than yours. Uh, it has never really grown very well. It has a, a, a history of a number of pastors coming in and out. And, and I had a burden leaving a larger ministry to go to take a church of just 20. People weren't, when they lost their last pastor as he moved on, the people were not knocking on the door to go to Northfield. Uh, and pastors weren't lining up to pastor there. And I wanted to take a smaller church, go somewhere where other people didn't want to go and, and just see in my idealism and the belief in the power of the gospel and, and, the, and God works through a local church just to see what could happen in Northfield. And, uh, and, and it's been hard and yet exciting to see what God has been doing. So kind of a replant. Been there four years, and now we're beginning to just kind of to work through and try to, uh, to work through as a church, rework through our constitution, our vision. And really, our whole series could be the song that, that Chris chose this morning, the covenant song. Um, that's what we're trying to be. My prayer for the last four years and all through my ministry is, Lord, help our church to be what you want it to be, whatever that looks like, from your word. Help us to do and be what you want us to be. And we've been asking uh, God to do that. And now together uh, as a young church, not a young church, but a replant, trying to focus that. We've been using mostly from scripture in, in this study the metaphor of a building to, to guide us. We looked at Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, where we're told the church is the temple of God, that uh, God is pleased to dwell with us personally, and we're being built together. We looked at 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 17, and amongst other things there, we are, we are uh, warned and admonished to take care how we build the church. And then we looked at 1 Peter 2, 1 through 5, where we're told that we are living stones being added to the church. As we've gone through the series, um, we learned that the foundation of the church is the scripture. Ephesians 2 tells us that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. This is not the office of the apostles and prophets, as though that office so much is handed on, and, and it's a group of people, but it's, it's what God revealed through the apostles and prophets to us. It's the scripture that the church is built on. What is referred to in the New Testament as the faith, that that. Um, objective body of truth outside of us, that authority of God's word that guides us in our faith and practice. The faith, 
We went through the, the gospel, uh, rather the, the epistle of Jude in anticipation of this series, where amongst other things, Jude tells us that we are to earnestly contend for the faith that has been once for all delivered to the saints. That's that truth of scripture. That is the foundation of the church. And it has been delivered once for all to the saints, not just to a certain groups, revealed certainly through the apostles and prophets, selected men that God used through the power of the Holy Spirit to give us all the information we need to function as a church and to make Christ's name known. And yet the faith that we're to earnestly contend for was given to all of us, the saints, all believers. We have a responsibility to know it and to live it. So the foundation is the scripture. The church is built on the conviction that we have a word from God. The Bible is our authority. We have a Lord to follow and trust. Our Lord Jesus Christ has spoken once for all. Where will we find the words of Christ? In scripture. And we would do well, as the writer of Hebrews says, to take heed to what has been spoken. Even this morning, as we hear God's word spoken, and this evening, we would think of it as though Jesus Christ himself is speaking, not as though I would elevate myself or any pastor or anyone teaching God's word, but insofar as we do our best to, to ex expose what this book says, we should respond as God's people as though Jesus is saying, this is what you must be, this is what you must do. These are precious promises that you must cling to. The church is built on that conviction. You have in your lap this morning, or laptop as it may be, the word of God. Your authority for what you believe and how you will live. This is the foundation of the church. If we do not get this right, the whole structure is in danger of crumbling. We need to dig down deep into God's word before we can build up. And whatever building up takes place, any growth that takes place, would be monstrous and in, in, in wrong if it's not built on the truth of God's word. And so we teach God's word. The foundation of scripture is that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, rather the, the foundation of, of, of uh, rather the cornerstone of our foundation is the gospel. That, that, that message that Paul, wherever he went, of first importance, I, I teach to you that who Jesus is, and why he came, and what it means to follow him. The gospel that Christ died for our sins, that we must believe and receive. In fact, in our church, just this past year, uh, we started a, a home Bible study, in, in, just like I was taught to do, in ministering to people, and we've gone through the gospel of Mark, and, and uh, we, that was the outline. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? What does it mean to follow him? We had of the dozen or 15 that came out, half of those people were unbelievers. And uh, two of them came to Christ. Both were baptized. And the foundation is, what does the scripture say about Christ? This is what we must believe. We've learned in the series that the building material of the church, what, is, what are the building material? The, one of the passages said, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 3. It doesn't say, now here is God's building. It says, you are God's building. The church is not a place or an event. It's not something we do between 10.30 and noon, depending on how long the preacher goes. Get nervous, huh? Um, it's the people. You are God's building. Peter refers to us as, as living stones. 
The church is alive. It's a building, and yet it's alive. Those have been made alive by the Spirit. I, I had a, um, a friend of mine who was a great art teacher. Uh, in the last ministry we were, we were at, he was a young guy, and he was very talented. And, and he would walk around through the woods and through, you know, things people would throw away. And, 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 and he would grab a, a piece here, something that no one else could use. And he would say, I'm, I can use that. And he'd take something else. I could use that. And he'd put together, one time he made this amazing, like this horse sculpture out of a broken chair and a stick here. And it was beautiful. And there is God as he looks around. And, and through the power of the gospel, as he calls people to faith by his spirit, living stones, I can use that one. Things that others would cast aside, the weak things of the world, to confound the mighty. I could use that one. And he takes them and he, he puts them in the church. And some are jagged and some are round. And, and yet the church, with the foundation being Christ, unified by the spirit, he brings us all together. The church is alive. The unity is not found in that we're all the same. We have different personalities. We have different backgrounds. The unity is found as we have the same spirit. We have the same Lord. The unity is found that even right now, you know what it is, don't you? When God's word is being preached, your heart reaches out for it. Amen. This is truth. This is right. That passage in 1 Peter that speaks of us as living stones says that as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. This time unifies us. Unity is not so much something, it is something we endeavor for, but unity is something that we have because we have the same spirit and the same word. I know what it is to battle with differences in a church. We have, you know, just a church of about 50 people. We're an eclectic group. <laughs> a lot of different backgrounds. It's very interesting. We have some people in our church their background, where they were discipled and came to Christ, is, is Campus Crusade, Bill Bright. We have others who have an affinity, and they were strengthened and encouraged by, by Bob Jones. You know what's interesting? If I say to the Bill Bright people, Bob Jones, they're like, whoa, nothing good can come from Greenville. There's, you know, there's, there's some, there are some major issues there. And the Bob Jones people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> And then the Bob Jones people, you know, they mentioned Campus Crusade, and they're like, oh, oh, Campus Compromise? What's that? Uh -huh. Yet somehow, God is bringing us together. And I have come, and I trust we will come, that God uses ministries and people in spite of themselves. And there are strengths and weaknesses in any number of groups. There is no pure church. None. We struggle. We reach for it. We need to lift up truth, but we need to honor that in spite of, in this place, in my church, in my life, God uses me in spite of myself, an eclectic group. We have to work through that. We have to work through that on any number of issues. We come together to sing. We have some that love traditional hymns. We have some that go to Soul Fest. Big difference. <laughs> We dare not define our church by simply pragmatically saying we're going to gather people together simply by the music we use. But within our church, similar to what, what was done today, the best kind of singing is congregational singing, rich in the, in the truth of scripture, drawing from old and new, and not using music to divide.
preferences outside the church when we come together, leave them at the door. You won't always get what you like, but it's not about you. We're going to seek to honor Christ in the way we gather, an eclectic group. And then we have people not from either side, people like Paul Maeski. He was, uh, came to our Bible study. He had never been to church for, before. He's a farmer in Waitley. He met a Bible church pastor at a farm stand when he was selling his wares. He got talking to him. And, uh, and uh, Paul was faking, facing a real crisis in his life. Uh, a lot of issues going on. And, and he walked away from that thinking, you know, you know, maybe God is after me. He was delivering potatoes in Northfield. He ran, drove by our little church. He saw Bible Church. He said, I think I'll check that out. He came one Sunday. He hasn't left. He went through the, the Mark Bible study. He came to Christ. He was baptized in the Connecticut River this summer. And in his testimony time, he said, I am here to tell you that Jesus is real. He knows nothing of all these other issues. He had never been to church before. He's hungry for God's word. He sends me emails every week with questions. He's growing. It's my responsibility as a pastor and ours as a church to minister to this eclectic group, people who think they know it all and people who are babes in Christ and everyone in between. And so the building material, we are the building material. We've learned that the church, although made up of people all over the globe, it meets and is organized locally. If you are to participate in any meaningful way with what the church is to be, it will take place within the fellowship of a local congregation with people you can know, meet regularly with, mutually serve in fellowship together, to whom you can make a commitment and under whom you can have accountability. God works through a local church. You need to be part of one. If not here, somewhere. We have a lot of people who have been coming to our church. I say a lot, we have a small church. But numbers of people who are coming into our church who have been disconnected. And they go to a church here and there, you know, every other week and say, no, that can't happen. You need to get converted, you need to get connected, you need to get committed. You need to dig down your roots into a local assembly. And then we look briefly at the end goal of a church, what this living building is to look like. And whenever you're putting up a building, sometimes it's good in the construction process, which can be real messy, to, to look at the architectural plans of this is where we're headed. You know, when you put up this building years ago, it's like, this is, this is the goal, you know, and the process is like, oh, how are we going to get there? But it's something encouraging to see the end goal. Because a lot of times, if you're like me as a pastor, as someone in a church, often you see the rubble. <laughs> you see the mess. You see the struggle. You can become jaded and you can become cynical. And is this really going to happen? And you need to lift up your eyes and to realize that Jesus said, I will build my church. But the process is challenging. There's a grand structure and, and part of what we're headed for in the process, that's why I had you turn to Colossians 1.25, to make God's word fully known. That's our goal as a little church, to make God's word fully known, make the gospel known, make the scripture known. And then verse 28, if we're going to make God's word fully known, it's going to point to Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is what our leadership came to through this series. What is our church supposed to do? We're going to make God's word fully known so that the people of God can be fully grown, increasingly maturing disciples. That if someone were to walk into Methuen or Salem or Northfield and say, where's the church that teaches God's word? 
that's serious about the Bible. For better or for worse, they will say, oh, you want a church like that? <laughs> Fellowship Bible Church. I mean, they believe the Bible is their authority. <laughs> they preach Christ. I mean, I mean, the actual atonement that Christ died for our sins. They, you know, they crawled out from under a rock somewhere. They still teach this stuff. You want a church like that? Go there. Someone walked into Northville and says, where's the church that teaches the Bible? I want people to know. Oh, you go to Community Bible Church. What's the church that lives the Bible? Community Bible Church. We proclaim Christ. And so this is what we're to be doing. Notice how focused Paul is in verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And how confident he is in the energizing power of Christ. He, he gives himself to it, but he, he acknowledges that it's Christ power. And so the teaching and the growth of the church, I mean, vision and, and, and goals, they're not thought up, they're prayed down in the power of Christ. And so, so here, Paul is saying, I work, and yet I work in Christ's power. But listen, this is not just the stuff of the Apostle Paul. You see, you're a pastor, you're fired up about this stuff, so, you know, this is, you know, something unique about you, you know, you've got whatever, some holy pixie dust that makes you excited about this stuff. And so this is you, you know. This is pastor stuff. But this is the purpose for all of us. All of you. And so, so here's the lesson for this morning. Really the lesson for you as you approach your 50th year. Who are the builders God uses to build his church? To make the word fully known? to proclaim Christ with warning and teaching so that all who come under the powerful influence of this church will become fully grown in Christ. Who are these builders? Look around. I'm not saying, don't just look here. I'm part of it. I'm one living stone. I can be pretty jagged sometimes. I'm kind of hard to be mortared next to. <laughs> but you're stuck with me. Part of the gospel is learning to live with people like me. Look around, not just to the front pew, Everywhere, you are the builders. You are. This is your purpose. You have been put in this church to make God's word fully known. As Chris said this morning, to view yourself being an increasing, maturing disciple so that you can minister to those around us. You have a purpose in life? What's your purpose? What's your heart set on? If you're a Christian, a living stone, you're part of the church, God's building. You have a purpose. You have an aim. You have a task. You have a reason to get up in the morning. And that is to build the church, which is organized locally. So if you're part of this church, your life, not just my life, your life is to build the church. You're here. You've been placed into this church as a living stone, not just to fill a pew. Sometimes we think of the church like, you know, getting on a bus, you know. You get on a bus, you know, and you tilt the seat back. Whoo, in for the ride. <laughs> Take me to Disney, wherever you're going, you know. And, and you know, the, and, the, and the pastors, the bus driver, ooh, we got a great bus driver, you know. He can really drive the bus. And you just kick back. No. You're not here just to fill a pew. But for meaningful participation with what's going on, you have a part in making the word of God fully known so that the people of God become fully grown in Christ. And if this is going to happen, 
if the church is going to be built as God intends and, and you along with it, if it's going to be sustained and maintained for another 50 years, it will only occur as people like you make it their aim and their life. This church will be everything you make it to be. When you take the responsibility as a saint to invest your life in God's plan for the age, the local church. And now to our text, practically what does this involve? Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. We could look to a lot of passages. It involves everything we sang in the covenant song. But here's one passage that kind of packs it together and covers a number of points. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another how to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. If you're a little OCD about an outline, okay, here's the outline. What are we to be doing? How are we to do it? And why are we to do it? Okay? The questions this morning kind of is just to, to, in the outline, it's a prompt you. They're connected with this morning's message and this evening. This is kind of a summary of the things that we've learned in the series. So what are we to be doing? The text tells us. I think, I think that a lot of times the, the problem with, with our handling scripture is not what we don't understand. <laughs> it's what we do understand. It's what God is clearly asking us to do. We are to consider one another for the purpose of stirring them up to love and good deeds. The weight behind the word consider is not just take a passing interest. I, who, who is that guy that you know, always sits on the organ side? You know, um, you know, there's the organ side and the piano side. My family always sat in the third row in uh, fellowship. Uh, it was uh, on the door side, okay? And you know, that was our pew. If someone came in and sat in that pew, you know, whoa, what's going on? It's like we paid for it or something, you know? <laughs> Oh, yeah, who, 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 is, who is that guy who sits in the third pew? What's their name? You know, just a kind of a passing interest. No, consider has the idea of, of your focus of your attention to, to study. Okay? It's, it's like you, you guys have that, you know, the, the fantasy football teams. You know, you try to figure out what the players are. You study their stats. You want to know them so that you, you know, get all the points, whoever that works. So you can know them so well, you know what they need to be stirred up to love and good deeds. The idea of provoke has kind of a negative connotation, and it can be used either way. Um, I knew what, what provoking was in my family. I'm the youngest of, of four boys, and, uh, and, and my brother Dave, five years older than me, he knew how to provoke me because he knew me, spent time with me. He'd take that peach. He had a way of biting into a peach, juicy peach. It would just drive you nuts. I didn't even like peaches. So it wasn't like, oh, I want to eat that. The fuzz bothers me and stuff. But you take that. You know, while watching Gilligan's Island, and he's. It's like, oh, knock it off. They get that seed pit, you know. And it's like, oh, he's provoking me. And he knows it. He knows what stirs me up. But I know what stirs him up. You know, some people like their foot, feet rubbed, you know. You know, maybe. Not him. 
you don't touch my feet, you know? He's doing, he's doing the seed thing. I walk up, Galactus on his foot. Ah, don't touch my feet. How do, how do we know that about each other? Well, we're brothers. We know how to provoke each other. We're brothers and sisters here. And, and when we come together, we should not be provoking each other in the wrong way. There's an ironic verse in 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. Paul says, when you come together, I hear there are divisions. <laughs> that makes sense. You come together, and there are divisions. That's the way it is sometimes with families, you know. They're fine as long as they don't spend any time with each other. You can bring them together. It's like, ah. Churches are that way too. We're great if we don't have to interact with each other. Church would be great if it weren't for the people. Church is about the people. And we just stop thinking of church. I want to use the people to build a church. We use the church to build people. And we need to learn to, to know each other. Like a teacher. As a teacher, I work with students that have special needs. Uh, autism and, and, and behavioral issues and struggle issues for a variety of backgrounds. And, and I have to focus on, on okay, I think out of the box, what lesson plan, what strategy will work so this kid will get his multiplication tables <laughs> and remember them and do it with love and concern. We need to be studying each other that way. When we come together, there should be positive influence for good. One another. Consider one another. Those around you, look, they need this provoking. And so does the guy behind the pulpit. We're in this together. One another, it's mutual. Because the text reminds us that each of us, left alone, have a tendency to drift from what is needful. We, we have a tendency to become st- settled. And we need to be stirred to action. Verse 23, we have a, a tendency to let go of our confession of hope without wavering. That's me. So now you're a pastor. Other times I'm just overwhelmed with this. You know, I look out, I see, is the gospel working in my life and other people's lives? Sometimes like Paul, you know, everyone in Asia has forsaken me. What's going on, God? You're building your church right. All I see is rubble. I'm going to throw in the towel. I've had it with this. And I need one another. We need one another. Say, don't let go. Believe scripture. Christ is alive. Proclaim his word. We tend to move away from our hope and confidence in the promises of God. Hear me. We, we come to Christ individually. Every individual has a responsibility as they hear the gospel to repent and respond to the gospel. And yet we do not move having come to Christ individually. We fly in formation to heaven. It's God's plan. You throw out the church, you're saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. You can't say, I, I don't need the church. I can handle this on my own. I can handle this with the, the internet and the MP3 player. I don't need to get together with those people. Yes, you do. Just because God says so, you do. It's God's plan. This time of year, you're going to hear some ge- geese, Canada geese squawking as they go wherever they're going, down to Disney World from Canada. Okay? They fly in formation. Honk, honk. That's us. We fly in formation. I don't know what they're honking. I hope they're honking encouraging words, you know. Way to go, quacky. Way to lead the way. They may be saying, hey, you've been in front too long. It's my turn. I'm getting tired. A lot of honking and quacking going on in church as well. We fly in formation to heaven. We need each other. You see a Canada goose on its own, he's in trouble. You see a Christian on his own, he's in trouble. 
If you're part of a local church, you're never on your own because you have people considering you to provoke into love and good works. A lot more we could say there, but that's the what now, how. How are we to do this? Well, first, it can't be done in isolation from each other. Duh. That's obvious. So then, the, the command, stop forsaking gathering together. So at this point, a pastor like me saying this comes across as very self-serving. Your, you know, your job is to teach, and you need someone to listen to you, so <laughs> you're going to tell people to come. Um, it's not self-serving. Uh, it's from God. It is a command, and uh, God gives you commands for your good. And Colossians 1 says we are to preach Christ, warning everyone. And if you're forsaking the assembling of people together, remember what I said? Insofar. Let the main thing be the plain thing, and the plain thing be the, be the main thing. God is saying, you need to be gathering together. You need to be here when God's people come together. As the manner of some is, some texts say the habit. Neglect of being present when the assembly gathers is habit-forming. It is a neglect that becomes a regular pattern of life. Break the habit. You say, well... You know, I am here this morning. The people who aren't here need to hear this. Maybe, you know, gently, lovingly. Ultimately, I trust the reason people come to church is not because, you know, I'm saying be here as a pastor, or the, but because God is, because you want to be here. Like, like the keeping the, uh, the, the, the cattle in one place in Australia, huge, huge, uh, uh, pastures and they have fences some farmers to try to keep them where they should be and then one farmer realized he just put a well and they come as we'll see this evening as we saw already from first Peter as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word the well is here God's people are here God's word is being preached this is God's church you want to come you're hungry you're thirsty so you come so break the habit of not coming how you must have a conviction about the priority of gathering with the people of God. Certainly there are formal gatherings where God's word is taught. There are informal Bible studies that you have a chance to be part of. There's, there's informal across the kitchen table as life touches life. But you need to have a conviction of the importance of being involved in a local assembly and gather for worship when they gather. There's a difference between necessarily being absent and needlessly being absent. I know the stages of life. We had, we had a young couple in our church. They have a two-year-old daughter. They just had identical twin boys. Identical twin boys. So they have a two-year-old daughter and now two boys. And, and, and the, the dad was really into uh, superheroes and uh, Marvel comics. So he went on Facebook and, and he put up, you know, if I get, I don't know what, it's like 10,000 likes, my wife will let me name my twins Clark and Kent. <laughs> we got Clark and Kent. We got super boys in our church. Oh, can you imagine getting a two-year-old and the twins together for church? I understand. I understand the difference between necessarily absent and needlessly absent. You worked out on your life. I understand that it's not glamorous. You know, Christianity, you know, glamorous and big things happening. You know, wow, this is glamorous. This is the life of the church. We're meeting together. We're, we're singing together. It's demanding, yes, it requires altering your schedule and, and, and your attention of giving yourself. 
How is it that one can say that he loves the church and he loves Christ and the people of the church, but he doesn't show up? It's not always about you. Sometimes it's about the person sitting next to you that can see you with passion and belief singing in Christ alone. That, that, that you are participant. It's for the person who prepares the message. Imagine working all week preparing a meal for a group of people and half of them show up. It's like... <laughs> and then you preach to the front row. You minister to those who are there. You, you feed the hungry. You need to come. The historical context here, it may be that some people stop coming due to persecution. And if that's the case, the risk of putting your life on the line is worth taking considering the benefit. This gathering together was for a specific purpose. Don't forsake the assembly of us together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so we gather to give a word of help, comfort, and instruction. What makes us unique. We're not just a club. We're not a Kiwanis club. Okay? The Kiwanis club can do a lot of stuff that the church does. I don't, you know, I don't know much about the Kiwanis club, but there are clubs like that out there that, that do good deeds. Well, we have a, a running group. I organized, uh, my son and I organized a, a weekly road race in, um, in Northfield. We have about 50 people that come out every Thursday night during the summer. And it's a way to get to meet people. I introduced myself as a pastor. It's not a church thing. It's an Emberley thing. And, uh, and I've had a chance to counsel with people. Some have come to church and just a way to give back to the community. It was kind of a semi-outreach that we've done. But you know, there are people who running is, you know, that's, that's their group. And they give each other hugs and they're supportive and they see each other at the races. And it's like, a, you know, it's like a little church. What makes us different from these clubs? I mean, is, is this just a social group? People we know and comfortable with? No. The authority is the word. Christ is our Lord. And so when we encourage one another, we comfort one another with this word. It's exhorting the truth of the scripture to one another. Some fall short of obedience to this command by not gathering. Some fall short of obedience to this command by gathering, but not encouraging. They're here, but they're not here. You know, you know what I mean? Whenever you're somewhere, you're not really there. You're, you're there in body, but you're just going through the motions. Don't do that. Ask yourself, how can I make a positive contribution that will be a help? Be intentional. Plan to be here. Plan to be meaningfully involved, receiving, benefit, and giving. Take note that you're singing to the Lord, yes, but singing to one another. You're praying, you're, you're um, ministering the word to people. Hey, here's how the word greatly impacted me. Here's what I've learned. And I've heard in church people complaining, you know, true fellowship and exhortation doesn't take, doesn't take place in the church, you know. All right, if that's the case, if it's not happening, make it happen. He says, oh, it doesn't happen in our church. Okay, are you part of that church? Yeah, okay. Then do something about it. Stop honking that it's not happening and stop honking the right words as we move in formation to heaven. Exhort one another. What we should be doing? Consider, provoke, encourage. How? Break the habit of not gathering together. 
Why? Here's the motivation. And we've already seen the motivation. The motivation is, is connected in the word one another. Look around. People need it. You need it. The motivation is this. It's a command. There it is on the pages of Scripture. Jesus has spoken. We've said the, 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 the conviction of a true church of God is that they believe the Bible is the word of God. Jesus just told you, stop. Jesus, Jesus is saying to you, consider one another to provoke into love and good works. Stop forsaking the assembling of yourself together as a manner of some is, but exhort one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That, that should carry weight with you. You, you shouldn't hear the words of the Lord and just say, ah, I, maybe, maybe I'll do that. It should be, yes, Lord. Yes, thank you for that warning. And so we do it. And then specifically from the text, why? The day is approaching. The day is approaching. Jesus' return is coming. Only so many days to live this age to build the church. I think behind this way the day is approaching, if we can think of 2 Timothy 3.1 where it says, in the last days perilous times will come, Men will be lovers of their own selves, and it warns you that it's going to be easy to fall away. So we live in days. Every day that goes by is getting closer to the return of Christ. So these are those perilous days. That word perilous is the same word that's used to describe a man who's possessed by a demon. He was possessed by a demon, so if, if you got with an earshot of him, you could hear him cursing. If you were foolish enough to walk close enough, he might spit on you. Or too close, he'd grab you. Perilous days, fears. It's hard to pass by this man without being negatively influenced. The day is approaching. It's hard to pass through the world we're living in without being influenced. That day is approaching. The days we live in now. So that should motivate you. You're prone to wander. You need this place. And so do others. But then also the day is approaching. You only have so much time to give yourself to the work of God. There's a psalm that says, when it's all been said and done, there's just one thing that matters, that I do my best to live for truth, that I live my life for you, Christ. When it's all been said and done, all my treasures will be nothing. Only what I've done for love and Christ's reward will stand the test of time. When all is said and done, in that day, you won't be sorry that you gave yourself to God's plan for the age, the church. For all its struggles and difficulties, I mean, people say, I love Christ. I just I can't stand the church. The, ch <laughs> the church is the body of Christ. It's like saying, I love your face, but you know, I can't stand your arms and your legs. The church is the bride of Christ. I mean, you're great, but your wife's a jerk. You can't look at Christ and say, I love you, but I hate your church. It's one and the same. If you love Christ, you love his church. And if you love the church, you give yourself to her. So let's do that right now. So we close with a song, a um, song that's really connected to this evening's message, but really singing with passion, all I have is Christ. I remind you, it's your 50th year. Some of this, some of this instruction was given to Ephesus. In the book of Revelation, we're told Ephesus was warned, you don't repent, you're going to lose your light. What's going to keep Fellowship Bible Church here if Christ returns in 50, 50 years? It's people like you obeying God's word from the heart and singing out 
all I have is Christ. Stand as we sing. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life has led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will, and if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Hallelujah. All I strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose, and let my song forever be my only boast is you. Father, I pray that you would dismiss us now with your blessing and grace and help us, Lord, to meditate on the things that we've heard this morning. Use them in our lives, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Choir this afternoon at 4.30. Those who have sung in the past, join us. If you would like to join the choir, come on out, and we will start practicing 4.30 this afternoon. <laughs>